This is the Troll Patrol. Live with Justin Freakin'. Welcome to the Troll Patrol Live, where I fucked up the YouTube feed yet again. We're trying to, we're trying to get it fixed up here, though. We'll make this work. Welcome, welcome. It is a freaking Thursday, which means since we have resumed our usual schedule, I've got tomorrow off. Ha <laughs> ha! What that news be doing though? We've got plenty of shit to cover tonight. We're gonna do the stories I didn't get to last night. An Iowa apartment collapsed. A lawsuit has accused the city, the inspector, and the owner of gross negligence, which seems pretty obvious. We're talking about the plan to build new condos after a collapse in Florida about a year and a half ago. Texas, not prepared for the heat wave is currently seeing. It's the same old story. The power grid is having a hard time. Not prepared for winter weather, not prepared for hot weather, apparently. We're talking about the collapse of I-95 in Philadelphia. There is insane video. If you have not seen the footage, you need to see it. Apparently, it is going to take months and months and months to get that shit fixed. A teacher who was shot by her student in Virginia was apparently fired by the school district. Sounds a little sus to me. Workers at the Harvard morgue were selling human remains. You could say they got caught dead-handed. We got video of smugglers leading, uh, I don't know if it's border patrol or if it's cops on a high-speed chase in Texas. Apparently they were smuggling migrants into the country and the video is wild. So I'm looking forward to watching that. Prosecutors are having to ask the governor of Missouri not to pardon a killer cop. Apparently a cop has been injured after the sporty ball riots in Denver earlier this week. We've got video of them getting hit. UPS and the Teamsters have tentatively reached a deal. The Starbucks manager has won a wrongful termination suit. I can't wait to get to this story because apparently the woman claims she was fired for being white. Sounds absurd, but you know, it is. this is America in 2023. DJ Dove, what is up, my friend? Good evening. Good evening to everyone. Oh, you guys, a meme, the meme of the day. Kids react to Maoist purges of landlords. 
They look pretty goddamn excited. You were the only one that heard my joke, DJ Dub. Don't don't be surprised if I don't uh, pull that one out again when we get to the story. I actually came up with it on the spot, and I'm very proud of myself. So I am totally going to tell that one again when we get to doing the story. I think someone in the apartment complex just farted through the walls. Possibly. I don't know. Anyway. We're going to talk about Biden's junk. Oh, no. Hold on. Hold on. I got that one wrong. I got that one wrong. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Joe Biden and junk fees, not Joe Biden's junk. Whoa. Whoa. Um, and after we hear from the president, we're going to find out who the most powerful man in America is, because it's probably not the president. Sorry, Joe. I know, I know you probably hate to hear that, my friend. But... Come, Come on, man! man. Don't make the rules. The CISA director is going to detail the apparent cyber attack that the country has been under today. That one might have flown under your radar. We've, we've, we've been experiencing multiple cyber attacks. Meanwhile, the press secretary has been accused of violating the Hatch Act. And my God, it is for the dumbest fucking reason. Spoiler alert, she said Mega Maga. Republicans are accusing Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre of violating the Hatch Act. Forbids campaigning electioneering uh, on company time in the White House. For saying Mega Maga. Representative Adam Schiff of California, who is currently running for uh, Senate in California, running to hopefully replace Diane Feinstein, who's going to resign, maybe, possibly. Or possibly run for another term. I don't know. Who fucking knows? She doesn't know. She doesn't know where she's at right now. But Adam Schiff faced a censure vote from House Republicans. That vote failed. We're going to hear from Schiff. Decorum laws across the country are being used to try to silence lawmakers. Uh... This, is, this should be an issue the free speech warriors are all about, but they're not because they're on the wrong side of the issues. The mayor of Miami has tossed his hat in the ring, name in the hat. I always, I always get those idioms uh, confused. He's tossed his name in the hat. Or he's hat in the ring, or the ring 
tossed his ring in the horseshoe. I don't fucking know. Anyway, Miami mayor running for president as a Republican. We're going to hear from him. Plus another presidential candidate. I told you, made you the promise from now until 2024. Even though I probably won't encourage people to vote for him. I don't know. We, we went through all of this last night. No, I probably won't vote for him. Maybe I will. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how things happen. Even, even though I may not be encouraging people to vote for him, I'm going to take every opportunity to let you hear from Dr. Cornell West between now and 2024 just because he's a badass and whatever he's saying, he's probably right. So he was on the hill this morning explaining his switch to the Green Party. We're going to hear from Dr. Cornell West and so much more here on the Troll Patrol live at the ring. At the ring sounds good. Okay. I don't, is that the idiom though? Name in the hat, hat in the ring. Throw one's hat in the ring. A challenger in boxing or campaign announcement politics hat in the ring. So I got that one right. Just verifying because, you know, I'm stupid sometimes. Starting off tonight, we are still, still going through the fallout from the indictment of Trump. Almost a week ago now, we found out about it. A week ago, it was unsealed. It was unsealed on uh, Friday of last week. We found out about it Thursday of last week. And he was arraigned on the charges Tuesday. No, Wednesday of this week. No, Tuesday. I'm right, Tuesday. Because it was Taco Tuesday and I had taco salad afterwards. Apparently, the DOJ presented Trump with a chance uh, for a plea deal and Trump rejected it. Uh, it reveals one of former President Trump's... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't know this was Morning Joe. Content warning, we're going to have to watch Morning Joe. New attorneys proposed last fall that Trump's team could try to negotiate a settlement with the Justice Department in the classified documents case. But the paper reports Trump was having none of it. Attorney Christopher Kyes reportedly wanted to quietly approach DOJ to see if I mean, he's married to her, so... ...would avoid charges and include the return of all documents. But the former... He is indeed fucking his co-host. ...interested in listening I would to the plan, so Kyes never approached prosecutors. That's according to three people briefed on the matter. They say Trump instead took the advice True. of... True. Fitton, oh boy! Head of the oh my God! Tom Fitton is the the dude that's the president of Judicial Watch. He is a far right goddamn nut job. If you've ever seen pictures of the man, he's one of those like um, probably a steroid freak. Definitely working out all that. He is constantly like popping out of his shirts. Richard, good evening, my friend. It's the best time to show up. I'm sorry, you picked the worst time because it's Morning Joe. Fair enough. Judicial Watch and others who told him he could legally oh keep the documents and that, should fight the DOJ. Not good. This is Jackie. Uh, so didn't listen to his lawyers. Listen to a right-wing nut job. That he doesn't want anyone else to have. Uh, is it possible the DOJ would have considered such a deal? 
That is a very good question, Mika. Even though this was a brainstorm from Christopher Keis, the attorney who appeared with Donald Trump earlier this week, um, who was shortly uh, sidelined after this proposal was uh-huh. made and after. Okay, so I was wrong when I was setting this up. Apparently, the DOJ did not offer him a deal. This was just something that his lawyers were trying to work on. He's like, uh uh-uh, uh, no. They sort of felt out some players about potentially reaching out to the Department of Justice. But uh, it seems unlikely that the Justice Department would have agreed to even um, issue uh, coming to some sort of agreement with Trump's team, especially even in that time period. They already knew that the president, the former president, was in possession of uh, classified materials that were highly And apparently still in possession. Uh, things regarding nuclear codes and, and again, highly sensitive top-secret documents related to the military. Um, But uh, as we report, the former president was never interested in taking a deal. He's always claimed uh, that these were his papers, that all Mm -hmm. of the boxes contained newspaper clippings, uh, just papers that he had picked up along the way. Obviously, we've seen that not to be true, as over 100 classified documents ultimately were outstanding when the Justice Department executed their search warrant. But the former president does continue to seem to take Tom Fitton's advice. He was at a dinner with Trump this week, the night before his arraignment. They had uh, stakes at uh, BLT Prime at the Doral Miami on Monday night. We did speak with Fitton for this piece, who did not really confirm or deny that he provided the former president with legal advice, but did say that he does uh, speak with Trump quite often and does provide him with advice, generally speaking, uh-huh. and uh, referenced this Clinton... In case you didn't know who uh, Tom Fitton is. 2009 reference uh, to these tapes that Taylor Branch had of Bill Clinton that really have nothing to do with classified documents. Yeah, you know, wow. you know, Willie, um, and again, this is a thing where, where Donald Trump has spent the last 50 years sort of playing the tabloid game pushing off from the New York Post, uh, Daily News, all this other stuff, insulting uh, opponents, insulting Rosie O'Donnell. Insult- and, and it's all been a swirl for him. He always stays, it's like five minutes ahead of the creditors, five minutes ahead of the, the judges. Five hey, w- Willie Geist is good. Willie Geist is all right. There's no better evidence that he doesn't... There's not, let's not soil Willie's good name. ...understand what he was stepping into, what arena... He was stepping into right this is like gladiator without you know a really good gladiator with i mean he's 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 no russell crowe is what he's saying literally uh his life oh my god al sharpton's there too and he's talking to some yahoo who who again people in in the fevered swamps love listening to him but he's talking to this guy for advice about like, is Tom Fenton going to stay in jail with him for the rest of his life if he gets charged? No. He's going to be, you know, typing and, and going on to the next sucker. That's what I, I just, again, his options, you look at Jersey, his options are running out. I mean, it, it seems to me a plea deal for him is if they'll even play with him at this point. If the judge Mandor will even play with him at this point, I don't think he will. 
It's always been a game to Donald Trump, as right. you say, for 40 years. It's been a game. Who's up? Who's down? Oh, I got the back. I mean, we've lived through it where right. he goes after you and then he sees you somewhere, pats you on the back. I was tough on you. You were tough on me. And that's it. <laughs> no. Jack Smith doesn't take the pat on the back. No. This is deadly serious. And this could be uh, a prison sentence for Donald Trump. I'm... The, the further and further we get into this, the more and more convinced I think he is going to see a prison cell. Let's see what Michael Cohen thinks about it. Michael Cohen is actually giving some advice to uh, jurists who may want to take up the case of representing Donald Trump. Donald Trump currently having a, it's time to play the game. It's all about the game and how you play it. Apparently, apparently Lemmy had a fucking diet of nothing but steaks, whiskey, and cigarettes. And the man lived to be like 70-something. I'm just saying. Me cakes, welcome in, my friend. Michael Cohen is giving advice to potential lawyers who might want to take up the cause of representing Donald Trump in court. Let's hear what he's got to say. This should be interesting. Joining me now, Donald Trump's former attorney, Michael Cohen. He's the host of the Mea Culpa podcast and the author of the book, Revenge. Michael, you know Donald Trump very, very well. Do you think in your mind that he was ever going to opt for an option uh, of taking a settlement instead of battling this out in public? Keep saying settlement, but this wasn't a now, civil so case. Position is never to settle ever because he thinks it's a sign of weakness. Unfortunately, he didn't have anybody around him to guide him properly. He's like a petulant child that just keeps sticking their finger into an electric socket. And then you keep saying, don't do it. You don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. But nevertheless, he's going to do it anyway. Well, he's dumb. Because in his mind, he knows better. And then you have somebody, for example, like a Boris Epstein, who will turn around and will say to him, yeah, you're right, Donald. Stick your finger into the socket. It's good. It's good. You can do it. Instead of guiding him like many of us used to in the past and say to him, no, you can't do Fuzzy face. Turn to think about how many of Sir, he's a narcissist. If you want to keep a job working for Donald Trump, you need to tell him what he wants to hear. You're not going to to keep your livelihood very long if you actually give Donald Trump good advice. Uh, You should know that. Of these matters right now would not even exist. Damn right, Richard. Somebody who was providing him just a scintilla of good advice. It's always a fucking book plug. And I think we, uh, a lot of people look at this and wonder, was anybody telling him to just give the documents back? And this reporting really confirms that people were. Yeah, his lawyers did. This was just one of several times that those lawyers tried to move uh, Trump to prevent what basically unfolded. What kind of plug are you talking about, Fuzzy Face? Uh, I mean, you live in sexual anarchy. Trump to the point where holding on to documents was more important than staying out of real legal legal jeopardy here. First of all, I don't buy the nonsense that people were telling him not to hold on to it. Number one, he wouldn't listen. But number two, nobody really has, you know, the cojones enough to turn around and to tell Donald that you need to send it back. In fact, the proof in the pudding is that you had people like Evan Corcoran or you had people like, um, Kath, uh, what's her name, uh, uh, Bob, 
uh, the other attorney who what about David's to the government, Christina Bob, right, stating that um, they had searched the premises. Yeah, what about Bob? Documents that were left on Mar-a-Lago or in other locations uh, that Donald had control over. So I don't buy the story that people were telling him to return it. Now, that, that doesn't mean that there wasn't one person that was giving him good advice that he was ignoring. That, I, that I'm sure there was definitely somebody. But for the most part, most people don't have what it takes in order to tell Donald that you're wrong, you got to do this, because Donald doesn't want to hear it. And if you do say it, he just terminates you. Well, yeah, that's what I said. Yesterday we saw him really projecting this sense of confidence. He went out to the Versailles Cafe in Miami. He was surrounded by the crowds. Uh, I don't think he looked confident. But his former chief of staff, John Kelly, who, by the way, doesn't really talk that often, right? No, he Kelly doesn't. Post, quote, he, and this is a direct quote, uh, excuse the profanity, he said, he's scared shitless. This was the way he compensates for that. He gives people the appearance he doesn't care by doing this. For the first time in his life, it looks like he's being held accountable. Up until this point in his life, it's like, I'm not going to pay you. Take me to court. He's never really held, been held accountable. Now that's before. true. Absolutely. Do you agree, Michael, with John Kelly? Do you think Trump tonight is scared? Yeah, wholeheartedly. John Kelly has nailed it. In fact, today I was in court over at 60 Center Street. Richard, that's an exact quote. If it's not an exact quote, it's damn fucking close to what he actually said. Next month, because they refuse to pay legal fees that are owed. So, yeah, Donald does not pay. He will fight you all the way to the end. And like I said, like a petulant child, he will keep sticking his finger into that socket until it really, really hurts. Now, Donald, I'm not talking, of course, that's metaphorically. For Donald, what really, really hurts is when you hit him in the pocketbook, very much like what E. Jean Carroll did. Now, what did he do? Again, you're so right about that, Abby. He does not accept accountability. So he goes out less than 24 hours after being uh, hit with a $5 million verdict. He ends up going out on CNN town hall with Caitlin Collins, and he says the same thing we again it. and again. And, now and he got sued again. <laughs> Unless you hit him hard in the pocket, Donald Trump doesn't understand accountability. But he is, for the here, very first Michael. time right now, seeing accountability on a multitude of different legal matters. Yeah, and I, we're, but we are talking here about jail timing. Do you think he could really face that penalty? Yeah, I think he actually knows that jail uh, in and of itself is probably unlikely. And to be honest with you, a lot of people get angry when I say it. Oh, no. Trump detractors. I don't want to see Donald Trump behind bars. I do want Dustin, to good evening. ultimately held accountable. I want to see him behind for bars. His, for his no, being behind crime. bars would be held accountable. Sentence, I believe that the right thing to do would to put him on a very significant home confinement. And I say that because understand Donald Trump. I never leave my home. He still spent four years getting classified debriefings and the information that's in his head. He's willing to sell out. Home's where all your fun you know, stuff is. You know, a, a book of stamps. And uh, your cats. That's there. And he would then pose a grave security risk to our country. And I would certainly prefer the safety of Americans to over, you know, Donald Trump behind bars. As much as I'd like to see that. 
Um, I would rather see America safe than sorry. And as you know, putting America or putting putting America behind bars. Yes, put America behind bars. America for prison tonight. I'm for it. Putting Donald Trump behind bars would make America safer. Not okay. Okay, so that picture, Richard. I'm glad you brought that up because. I didn't notice it at first. But I did somebody else pointed it out. And now now I can't unsee it. Let's take a look at the photograph from inside the bathroom where they retrieved classified documents. So Richard made note of the bathroom chandelier, but notice that there is a second, smaller chandelier on the wall. It has a little mini chandelier in, in <laughs> under the bathroom chandelier. I I wish I had a switch and I could be playing Tears of the Kingdom. I would. I I at some point in time will will invest into a uh, Nintendo system or a couple of different Nintendo systems and pick up where I left off on the Zelda series. I've never played all the way through the 64 one. So all of them up through 64 GameCube. We, I would like to play all of those Zelda games. Because, like, all of them look badass. But there is a second mini chandelier in the room with the chandelier. And also, that's a fucking gaudy-looking room. The Bratad. Did I see... I may be wrong on this. And there may just be multiple people fascinated with shit in my life. But did you comment under your government name on one of my pages? <laughs> or is it some some completely rando person <laughs> who also makes shit jokes? <laughs> I could I could just be attracting shit. Uh, that, that brings me to a fantastic piece of advice for you, especially apropos of us looking at this bathroom. Life is too short to walk this earth with a crusty asshole. Wash your ass. What kind of rich person doesn't have a goddamn bidet? In Florida, do you have words of advice for anyone considering luck. taking that job? Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, good luck because, you know, so many people have said it and they've been accurate in their statement. Donald doesn't pay. I mean, I've seen that going on for so many years. He does not pay legal fees, whether you are successful for him or not. Now, if you're not, it's an easier reason for him to tell you that he's not paying. But even if you are successful, he just does not like to pay. He has burnt so many of the top white shoe firms. They have no interest. 
They have no interest whatsoever in representing him. Michael Cohen has firsthand knowledge of this. Incredibly difficult client because he believes that his knee-jerk reaction, his gut reaction, is always right. When look, we are seeing it right now. His gut reaction to all of this stuff. Do you have alerts set about bathrooms? Do you have keywords? If you take the Washington Post art, do you have a Google alert for any time I post about shit or bathrooms? <laughs> oh, when was I having a spat with somebody over a bathroom? What? <laughs> Have I been, have I even been into it with anybody today? I feel like I've been at work today. Have I had a spat today? Mainly just calling people morons on, uh, I think Young Americans Foundation. Yeah, let me show you this. Let me show you this goddamn shit right here. Hold on. This is why this is why I call right wingers morons. This is this is the reason. Click on the let me click on the post. So we're, it's the Young Americans Foundation YAF and complete idiots. I want you to see what they what they they posted this earlier today. Now I've seen this before. They, they have shared out this headline from the sun. Uh, this is, this is an old headline. This went around like two or three years ago, maybe even longer than that. Snowflake students claim Frankenstein's monster was misunderstood and is in fact a victim. Young Americans Foundation shares this out seven hours ago and says, because of course they did. Now this 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 man uh, Justin Muffins here, uh, who I I know nothing of, said you fucking idiots. That's literally the premise of the book. Right wingers are the dumbest fucking people. In fact, the monster was misunderstood, and indeed a victim. Right wingers are, and then some dude, dude tried to tell me that people are lacking common sense or something. And I'm like, yeah, these fuckers are lacking common sense. He's like, no, they've never read the book. And I was like, well, wouldn't common sense dictate that you wouldn't speak on a book that you've never fucking read? Yeah, all the all the idiot ass right wingers finding out that Rage Against the Machine are are communist or champagne socialist if you want to make that uh, critique at them. Love me some rage, but uh, you get in certain leftist circles and they'll start telling you about how rage are nothing but a bunch of sellouts. Let's move on to 2024 presidential politics. We have a new candidate who has tossed his hat in the ring 
Miami Mayor Francis Suarez. Miami Mayor Francis Suarez announces his GOP presidential bid. It's growing with another candidate jumping into the race. That's right. Miami Mayor Francis Suarez just announced his presidential bid this morning. His entrance into the crowd. Dustin, excellent point. After former President Trump appeared in court on federal charges in Miami. Suarez dodged questions, though, about Trump's indictment during his announcement on ABC earlier today. And I think what Miami did is what Miami has done. We have lowered homicides to the capita. Sir, I asked you what you thought of the indictment. And I want to talk about Miami. Uh, you know, I, I think if we continue to have a conversation about the former president. Well, the indictment happened in Miami. For more on this, let's bring in CBS Miami's Jim DeFeedy, a fixture on the political scene there in uh, southern Florida. Great to have you on the program, Jim. Is Suarez a serious contender or is no. his announcement less about 2024 and more about 2028 and his positioning? Mm, yes, yes, that's the it. Republican Party. Well, I'm on the nose. It's not even about 2028 as much as it just is raising his profile, providing himself some options. Look, you know, we've seen this before in 2016. We had three Florida candidates, Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush and Donald Trump. Jeb here heading into 2024. We've got Donald. God damn, that seems like a lifetime ago. Please clap. I mean, it kind of has been what, seven years ago? Trump again, Ron DeSantis, and Francis Suarez, except this time around, it feels more of a reboot of the old show Two and a Half Men. Uh, Francis Suarez is coming into this. He has a story to tell. I mean, as you pointed out, he's the only Hispanic in the race. He wants to try to make himself a generation. He is indeed shaking his camera. He won re-election in the city of Miami by, you know, with 78% of the, or 79% of the vote, even though he wasn't really challenged in that election, but it's still a win. The problem that he has in the Republican primary is, is that, you know, he voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016. He voted for Joe Biden in 2020, and he voted for uh, Andrew Gillum in the governor's race over Ron DeSantis in 2018. So, it's so he's reasonable. How he has a path in the Republican primary when you support all those Democrats, but he's going to try to make that case, and he has pledged that he will support the nominee if it's Donald Trump in 2024. Again, I think this is less about him thinking that he's a serious presidential contender than trying to eventually raise you know, his profile. The exposure we're giving him into either a role as a pundit, maybe a position in somebody's cabinet. You know, Senate race. Conway has talked about him as a vice presidential candidate for Don Donald Trump. I don't think that's likely, but I think it's about trying to. Nope, it dawned on me. It's going to be Marjorie Taylor Greene. If he makes it to that point where he actually gets to pick a VP candidate, it's going to be Marjorie Taylor Greene. He needs Georgia to win. Like, he has to absolutely win Georgia. And that's, that's such a tried-and-true political strategy. She's a Georgia politician. Now, whether she is liked statewide in Georgia, that remains to be seen. I kind of doubt it. But the conventional wisdom would be you pick her, and I, I, I'm almost certain whoever he picks is going to be a, a token. It's going to be somebody of color. It's going to be a woman. It's going to be, he's, he's wanting to hit the Democrats with that. 
and I, I honestly, it's gonna be Marjorie Taylor Greene. I, in only in Tulsi's mind, I don't. I, I does Donald Trump even know who Tulsi Gabbard is? I'm just I, and Tulsi's from Hawaii, not a state that Trump is any any in any reasonable scenario going to pick up. So. Georgia, however, we're talking about a razor-thin margin. And having a Georgia politician as your vice presidential pick could see that, once again, this is conventional political wisdom. You know, that's why uh, Bill Clinton picked Al Gore because he was from a a southern uh, state, from Tennessee. Didn't help him. That was the, the wisdom behind picking him. RFK Jr. might be angling for that. I don't know. Once again, RFK Jr. is in the Democratic primary. He should. He's running as a Republican in the Democratic primary. And apparently, with Suarez here, it's a Democrat running in the Republican primary. Interesting. Uh, cool. I'm down for it. Now, let's talk about someone who is neither a Democrat or a Republican. And I don't believe has to run in a primary. Uh, I think he. I don't know how. I don't know how the Green Party does their nominating process. But now we have one Dr. Cornell West running as the Green Party candidate. Let's hear from Dr. West. As we discussed on this show. PhD doctor and public intellectual Cornel West has thrown his hat in the 2024 presidential contest as a third party candidate. Now he announced with No, 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 no. She see she fucked up the idiom. The idiom is throwing your hat in the ring. You don't throw your hat in a presidential contest. That doesn't make any sense. Sorry, Bree Bree. A relationship with the movement. I learned that earlier in the show. Largely from the left due to some controversy around MPP. He has recently announced that he is planning to seek the nomination of the Green Party as well. Not everybody is happy about his choice to run as an independent third party candidate, however. No, I'm totally happy about it. As a Democrat, as RFK Jr. and Marion Williamson have chosen to do. Recently in Jacobin Magazine, journalist Ben Burgess wrote an article making the case that Cornell West should in fact run on the Democratic Party ticket. I asked him specifically on an episode of my podcast, Bad Faith, that was released this morning, as the decision-making process to run as a third-party candidate as opposed to a Democratic Party candidate where he could conceivably take advantage of the primary media cycle and get town halls and even potentially a debate. Let's hear what he had to say. What I like about the third-party strategy, whichever third party on the left you're talking about, is that it is a clear and unequivocal affirmation of the rot at the center of the Democratic Party Mm. and the corporate wing suffocating the progressive wing. That's Brother Bernie and company or the squad and company. That they forever run up against a stone wall and end up being a kind of cover for Wall Street, Pentagon, dot, 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 dot. That's the kind of freedom, you see. 
uh, so that even thanks to my, my dear brother RFK Jr., you know, I've worked with him. I have wonderful, wonderful relations with him and so forth. But he can't tell the truth about Israel. <laughs> he can't tell the truth about the suffering of our precious Palestinian brothers and sisters. That, that, that's just one small example. You see, he's, he's locked into a certain discourse that has been normalized by the Democratic Party that refuses to come to terms with truth and justice, the truth of the West Bank and Gaza. I thought I did something. All right, so what do you make of this strategy? Some people responded to that clip when I posted it this morning saying, I understand the kind of ethical claim that you're making here, but strategically, is it the most savvy thing to do to run? Yeah, where is Virgil, Texas? He, he just disappeared. Where's your co-host at, Bree? Also, I thought this was 10 minutes of Cornell West speaking. I don't want to listen to Brianna Joy Gray and Robbie Suave talk. I'm very upset. This is why I should watch these clips before I play them. I thought The Hill, or Rising, had Dr. West on the show to talk to. Cornell West explains the decision to seek Green Party nomination in 2024. Not Brianna Joy Gray and Robbie Suave pontificate about bullshit for eight minutes after you play a 30-minute clip of West. I don't give a shit what the two of you have to say. I think both of you are dumbasses. Cordell West, however, is a badass. Justin, please. I mean, you do so at your own risk, but I ain't gonna stop you. <laughs> oh, God damn. I don't know. I don't know. I feel dirty. I've, I'm let down that I didn't get to watch Cornell West, but I'm I'm more let down that I thought I was going to provide you guys with 10 minutes of Cornell West. No! Dustin, I have not. Can you find that clip? That's a new one. Did that happen while I was off? This happened in 2020. Or does this just happen so many times there's multiple videos of it? What the hell? I had a clip of some woman that apparently went viral in 2020. Where she's like talking to a black woman. She's like, if I can speak on behalf of black women. It's like, don't do that. That's probably not a good idea. No, I did not get your reference. I apologize. You need to have decorum, motherfuckers. Come in here throwing out references I don't get. Poor, good evening. 
Let's talk about decorum laws and how they're used to stifle uh, progressive and even just even just milk toast liberals in these uh, ruby red states. Decorum laws and rules. No representative is above our house rules. Expelled from the House of Representatives. State governments and state politicians have become part of the national tug of war over partisan politics. And one manifestation of that is expelling legislators from the other party. In Montana and Tennessee, Democrats were reprimanded by Republicans after they voiced their support for gender-affirming care and stricter gun laws. The representative from House District Number 100 will no longer be admitted to this floor, House anteroom, or House gallery. That was Zoe Zephyr. Lawmakers were accused of breaking decorum, a set of rules and behaviors that representatives are supposed to follow when in session. Decorum has been used as a cudgel, specifically to silence communities Yes, we are rising up and trying to hold the right accountable for bills that have real, deadly impacts for our communities. Representative Zoe Zephyr of Montana was banned from her House floor. But things went a step further in Tennessee. Representatives Justin Jones and Justin Pearson were fully expelled, no longer members of state government. Yeah, I hereby declare Representative Justin Jones of the 57 Representative District expelled from the House of Representatives of the 113th Assembly of the State of Tennessee. By shutting me down, they're shutting down the, the voice of my constituents. Throughout American history, state legislative full expulsions have been rare, and even more rare have been an entirely partisan one, where only one party's legislators mm -hmm. votes for the expulsion of an out-party legislator. Typically, expulsions have been over some pretty egregious individual crimes by sitting politicians. These crimes have included corruption. Now, by the way, I do want to point out, you saw the Tennessee Speaker of the House, Cameron Sexton, uh, expelling, expelling uh, two black lawmakers, Pearson and Jones, for speaking up about gun laws. However, Cameron Sexton is facing fresh allegations of covering up sexual harassment by a a staffer, or I, I'm sorry, by a, a Republican lawmaker. They knew about it. They knew. They knew this motherfucker was out here harassing, uh, it, was, it was staffers, congressional staffers. Republican Tennessee House Speaker is facing renewed calls to resign after being accused of covering up a sexual harassment scandal that led to the resignation of one of his colleagues. Cameron Sexton recently faced an online petition by a Christian social justice group that attracted thousands of signatures. It demanded he vacate the Speaker's chair, accusing him of acting with racist intentions by seeking to remove the two black representatives. The accusations came as political tensions in Tennessee remain high following the mass shooting. Since then, further allegations have emerged, including that he does not live in the district he represents and that he may have had an affair. Sexton has publicly responded to some, but not all of these claims. So now, if anybody deserved to be uh, censured or expelled from the Tennessee State House, I believe it would be one Mr. Cameron Sexton. Six. Good evening. So glad to see you. Evasion, wire fraud, bribery, and racketeering. Several members have also been expelled over accusations of sexual misconduct. 
and these votes are not typically one-sided. Democrats and Republicans have joined together to expel members who have committed crimes. The 2023 vote to expel the Tennessee lawmakers, however, was done exclusively by Republicans, a historic act of partisan retaliation, and a move that Democrats said had nothing to do with decorum. But to those who here will cast a vote for expulsion, I was fighting for your children too. The reason is the nationalization of state politics. It matters in the overall national tug of war over sort of the direction of the country, especially the sort of cultural, racial, and identity-based direction of the country. State legislatures define decorum in a variety of ways and can take action based on their own interpretations of orderly behavior. The Montana House of Representatives, for example, requires that all members conduct themselves in a civil manner in accordance with accepted standards of parliamentary conduct. Republicans argued that Zephyr did not abide by these- Well, that's awfully vague. This about a bill that would ban gender-affirming care for minors. If you vote yes on this bill, and yes on these amendments, I hope the next time there's an invocation, when you bow your heads in prayer, you see the blood on your hands. A vote to ban Zephyr from the House floor ultimately passed. Mr. Maynard! Able to vote remotely. And Republicans in Tennessee said that Democrats brought disorder to the House when they joined hundreds of protesters demanding gun legislation after a mass killing at a Nashville school. Because people are refusing to pass just laws to end the epidemic of gun violence in the state of Tennessee. Jones and Pearson were ultimately reinstated, but experts warned that expanding the definition of decorum in order to expel members of the minority party could contribute even further to the erosion of democratic norms. Once you erode some norms, where does it really end? When norm erosion gets more extreme, you can get to the point of real constitutional crises of, for example, refusing to allow a rightfully elected opponent take office, really subverting elections or fundamentally, you know, ending democracy and the rule of law in the U.S. And I'd say that's an extremely low probability, but that's a real risk that we need to take seriously. And they are moving to do this on the national level now. Holy shit. Adam Schiff faced a censure vote by Republicans yesterday in the House of Representatives. But apparently 20 Republicans actually uh, voted against the censure, ensuring that Schiff escaped. The censure vote failed. This is Fox News badgering Schiff afterwards. This is about as clear evidence you could find of intent by the campaign to collude with the Russians. Russians offered help, the campaign accepted help, the Russians gave help, and the president made full use of that help. There's clear evidence uh, on the issue of collusion. There is ample evidence of collusion. Congressman Adam Schiff, a leading... And there's still ample evidence of collusion. The House voting down a resolution to censure and condemn Schiff for misleading the public by insisting former President Trump colluded with Russia to win the 2016 election. Lawmakers voting 225 to 196 to set the resolution aside, including 20 Republicans who opposed the measure. Let's bring in special report anchor Brett Baer. Brett, why would Republicans join that? 
Well, both were bullshit. Censuring uh, Ilan Omar was bullshit. $16 million fine. Um, there's not a doubt on the Republican side that uh, Schiff kind of went down the road uh, for over his skis on Russia collusion and said he had evidence where he didn't. And obviously the Durham report laid out a pretty compelling argument. But those Republicans who voted against this no. didn't want to set the precedent of going after individual lawmakers like that. Just a little bit of reaction on this. First, um... Schiff's response to this, uh, to Fox, watch. Hear it. It's a badge of honor when you take on the MAGA crowd. They clearly think I'm effective uh, in holding the former president accountable. Um, but it's a terrible misuse of House resources. Uh, this is their effort to uh, try to intimidate people that stand up to Donald Trump and to gratify the former president. Yep. Uh, 242 cable appearances, I think, uh, mm -hmm. on Russia. Uh, Thomas Massey, who's... About as far from Adam Schiff politically as you can get out of Kentucky, said if a simple yes. majority of the House can lay claim to $16 million from one member of Congress, our republic is doomed if Democrats ever get the majority back. Glad to see the author of the censure resolution is removing this provision from the resolution and trying to go again. What? Uh, so that's from Massey. That goes to your point about money and precedent. Brett, back to this point from Schiff. Yeah. Um, it's a badge of honor for me to take on the MAGA crowd. If Donald politically. Trump's the nominee... That's all Democrats are going to say for the next 16 months. What? No, that's true. And they're hoping, I think, in a lot of Democratic circles that he is the nominee, including the White House, uh, which is clearly gearing its messaging again uh, to go after. Come the on, president. man. Uh, but listen, on this shift resolution, I think Massey hits the 20 Republican sentiment, which is you go after this one, it's tit for tat. If they get control, uh, let's handle it in the ballot box. You mm -hmm. know, Schiff is up for Senate in California. It probably plays in that state. He probably loves it because this will help him raise money for, for that or at least get some attention. I want to talk to you about the growing Republican field. Francis Suarez, the mayor Once again, 20 House uh, GOP representatives over on Jamon 3 if you've got a chance. joined with the Democrats to ensure that it Filled. Of course, the chairwoman of the RNC. She had this to say about the growing field. Yeah, I think we have such a great field from mayors to governors to former presidents to former vice presidents. But the main thing is, what are we talking about? Republicans are getting on the stage or, or the, they will get on the debate stage and be able to contrast what we put forward as our vision for America, which will be a much brighter future for many Americans than what they're seeing right now. So Francis Suarez gets in today. Do you expect there will be others? I think we're coming to the end of the new entrance. I think we're, what is that, 12? Uh, you know, you started getting decorum to a pretty crowded debate stage. Uh, you have to qualify as for that debate based on the RNC uh, guidelines uh, for the August debate in Milwaukee. Uh, but I think we're- August, is that, there may be a late is that the first one? I'd speculated that we may even have one in July, but apparently August is the first scheduled GOP primary debate. So we are what? Two months away? Getting close. The 2024 presidential race heating up already. He'd add, um, there's always rumors that um, Glenn Youngkin from Virginia, after he runs this Senate race in uh, the, the state house. I mean, you talk about decorum in a, in a race that Donald Trump's going to be in. That list and that board, uh, that's a lot. And Larry Elder. And, you know, there are more and more people who say the more people who are in and stay in longer, uh, the better the former president has a chance to win the nomination. You'll get to ask him on Monday. Yes.
That's right. I have an interview Monday at Bedminster, and uh, it'll air Monday and Tuesday on Special Report. Do, do you uh, need Dana and me to text you some questions? Or, <laughs> or you got this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bring them. I think he's got it. <laughs> right, uh, enjoy. I'll take them. Thank you, Brett. This wall of losers or the wall of losers, right? That they showed on, yeah, right there. That wall of losers. Couple different walls of losers there. Brett Bear and Dana Perino and, oh, what's his name? All also losers. <laughs> yes, Clint, yes. But hell, that is a hell of a wall of losers. Larry Elder, Mike Pence, Tim Scott. Uh, I always fuck his name up. Vivek. Uh, Ramaswamy, Vivek Ramaswamy, I, if you were Ted Cruz, would you want that to happen to you again? You've, you've got it awfully sweet where you're at. Would you want to, to put yourself on the national stage again, face another embarrassment again, possibly become so toxic that you can't even win re-election for the Senate? I don't blame Ted Cruz for sitting this one out. Don't blame him one bit. I They're all losers. Uh, Nikki Haley is the only one that has any upward uh, momentum. I guess Scott feels like he is on the upswing because he just won re-election. Asa Hutchinson had a... He was a popular governor in Arkansas up until he took COVID seriously. And then the Republicans turned on him, but he's trying he's trying to be a more moderate Republican. Compassionate conservative. I don't know who this dude is, but he looks like Alan Coulter from The Late Show. Chris Christie, total loser. The Suarez guy probably has a future in the Republican Party, or maybe as a Democrat later. I can understand being in Miami, uh and I assume he is of Cuban descent, so it kind of makes sense that he's a Republican at this moment. I guess DeSantis isn't a loser uh, per se right now. Also feels that his momentum is on the upswing, but I think his time has passed. I think uh, he peaked far too early in this race. He peaked long before this race even really got started. And it has been nothing but blunder after blunder since. And speaking of blunder, blunder uh, Burgum over here. Who the fuck is Burgum? Who who is Burgum? I've never even heard of this dude. Larry Elder is a gigantic loser. He just lost running for governor in California. Bergen? Was it Burgum? Bergam 2024. Yeah, let's find out. Doug Bergam. Doug Bergam. Who the fuck are you, Doug? Ber- My fucking mouse. I need a new mouse. It's. Douglas James Bergam is an American entrepreneur and political. A politi- political. politician serving as the 33rd governor of North Dakota since 2016. He's a current governor, and I didn't even know who the fuck he was. (laughs) Yeah, he stands a chance. 
Been governor since 2016. Governor of North Dakota. He's a Republican. I'm assuming he's a piece of shit. Uh, looks like he was an investor in a software company. So yeah, absolute piece of shit. So fuck that dude. You clinically thinks North Dakota is not a real place. I, I know that North Dakota is indeed a real place. It is Rhode Island, which doesn't actually exist. I will die on that hill. You can't convince me that that's a real place. It is a made up state from the show Family Guy. Marine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, has been accused of violating the Hatch Act. The Hatch Act, which prevents political activity while on the job in the federal government. The reasoning they say that she violated the Hatch Act is fucking hilarious. We uh, do everything that we can uh, to uphold, uh, certainly, uh, the Hatch Act and take the law very seriously. A couple of things that I want to lay out here. Uh, so with, uh, <laughs> you know, many of you have mentioned with friendly consternation uh, how often we take, the, we take uh, the Hatch Act and we follow the Hatch Act uh, throughout these past two years. We received a letter from the Office of Special Counsel, which is the independent agency that enforces the Hatch Act, as all of you know, and it communicated uh, it to us uh, that uh, their opinion and is issuing a warning but not taking further action, as you all know by reading the, the letter uh, and the reports. The White House Counsel's Office is reviewing their opinion uh, and is going to respond to them, so certainly not going to get ahead of how the White House Counsel is going to respond or what's going to come out from, from that action. So that was her response to it, but it didn't actually go into the detail that the reason they are claiming she violated the Hatch Act is because she said, Mega MAGA Republicans, according to a watchdog agency, she said Mega MAGA Republicans. House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre violated the Federal Hatch Act during the lead-up to the 2022 midterm elections when she repeatedly warned of Mega MAGA Republicans, according to a government watchdog agency. But because she warned of mega mega Republicans, they think she violated the Hatch Act. Remember, Donald Trump held the Republican National Convention, the RNC Convention, at the White House in 2020. <laughs> what Hatch Act? God damn. That's absurd to me. It is absurd that they would claim that that is a violation of the Hatch Act, but good on the administration for taking it seriously. The administration also taking very seriously the fact that we are apparently under attack. The Hatch Act prevents political activities in, in the federal government. So campaigning, electioneering, that sort of thing. So they're saying because she said mega mega Republicans... That was some sort of campaigning on behalf of 2022 candidates. 
We are apparently under attack currently. We're going to get the uh, director of CISA, C-I-S-A, telling us about uh, several federal agencies that have come under cyber attack. Tony Blinken has finally been able to win China's agreement to come to Beijing this weekend after the U.S. had canceled that original trip over this Chinese spy balloon incident. Of course, he will be the first Secretary of State to visit China since 2018, the first Cabinet Secretary since 2019. His visit will be a critical effort to reopen communications that China has broken off, especially military-to-military communications. Since then, Speaker Nancy Pelosi went to Taiwan last August. Among the many topics at issue between the two countries will be China's active program of cyber attacks against the U.S. And joining me now is Jen Easterly, the director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, known as CISA. Director, there's a new report also that several U.S. federal government agencies been hit in a major cyber attack. What do we know about it? Yeah, so it's a software that federal agencies and companies across the world use. We put out an advisory uh, about this last week and we're responding to it. You know, these vulnerabilities are pretty common in software and our job is to work with businesses to ensure they have the resources and tools to mitigate that risk. How widespread is it? What kind of businesses? I got a goddamn nasty virus last week. So right now we're focused specifically on those federal agencies that may be impacted and we're working hand in hand with them to be and no it wasn't from doing any of the shady shit i do around the world it's another uh ransomware actor known as clop ransomware uh and they're basically taking data and looking to wait you can get the clap on the computer now uh or not in in russia but we're tracking it as a criminal group many of these criminal groups are located in places like eastern europe right and could it be russian could it be russian or state action behind it's it. unknown at this time right now we're tracking it as a well-known ransomware ransomware group how widespread is it in is this malware in federal agencies so we are working with several federal agencies to really understand that uh, we're working to get that visibility and then make sure that we're able to put measures in place to mitigate any sort of impact so we're still working through the details of that right now so we don't fully have the defenses in place yet is that a fair interpretation? No, we don't have a full understanding of what the impacts are or whether there are impacts, but we're working through Your it. data has been breached. The situation, since as you uh, remember, solar winds in the end right. of 2020 uh, has changed dramatically in our ability to help have that visibility and those relationships and that collaboration to defend the civilian.gov. So I'm very confident in my team that are working this uh, hour by hour. I know you have worked very hard, as have others in the administration, to try to get the private sector to do more. And you're concerned about infrastructure, about utilities. How are you doing in terms of getting private sector cooperation Well, I'll tell you, I've been incredibly encouraged by the collaboration that we've seen over the past couple years with the private sector. We stood up a platform called the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative, where we work with- I don't trust them. Critical infrastructure, finance, energy, water, hospitals, education, technology, to share information so that we can drive down risk for the nation. And a great example of this, Andrea, was our Shields Up campaign that was around the Russian invasion of Ukraine, where we talked about the threat and we provided mitigation measures so that we could prevent any significant attacks to the nation's critical infrastructure. I've been told by other officials in the administration that one of the real concerns 
is not so much nuclear power and some of the things that we would traditionally think were vulnerable, but water, water systems. So it is a real concern, and we've actually made water uh, facilities and utilities a major priority for this year. You know, there's over 150,000 of these facilities around the country. And these are what we call target rich because they can be targeted by threat actors, but then cyber poor because they don't have the resources to be able to defend themselves. And so what we're doing. You're still running on like DOS prompts. Security advisors from CISA in every state uh, to help them understand the measures that they need to take to reduce risk. And we're obviously doing this hand in hand with the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, so that we can put those measures in place to ensure that Americans can get safe and secure water. Uh, you have made uh, it very clear that you, you've warned about uh, cyber hacking and, and a widespread espionage campaign from China. Yeah. Talk about China. I, yeah, I don't like the fact that apparently the cyber attack that's going on is coming from Eastern Europe. But they're doing this whole interview with Biden and Xi Jinping facing off, and it says U.S.-China tensions. Also, I don't exactly feel better about things after listening to this interview and the director of CISA. President, all his administration also fighting off uh, cyber attacks is trying to protect consumers from junk fees. I'm here for that. Take it to him, Joe. Right at the end of the purchasing process, after you've already spent the time comparing your options, the solution is uh, the the solution is what is called. A, all in pricing and uh guys guys speaking of home home networks oh i've got a i've got a cat vomiting yep just vomited on the couch there you might not be able to see it Floor and couch. Oh, and he turned around and he's doing it on another part of the couch. He had to get another clump of vomit on the couch. Good job, buddy. Well, I mean, I've got blankets over it, so it's no big deal. Good job, buddy. Good job. I just washed those like two days ago. Good job vomiting on the couch. Good smokey. At least is that socks went behind my TV and vomited all over the wall. And that kind of sucked because the TV is on a gigantic dresser that I have to pull and it's it's floor two different places on the couch. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Anyway, my home network <laughs> So I switched internet service providers after I found out I could get fiber optic here. I went to the fiber optic and wow, 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 it's amazing. When they're here setting up my router, they asked me what I wanted my password to be. 
And I thought for a second, and I said, not high enough. So it turns out, anytime I call, this is also my electric company. Anytime I call them and I have to have to have assistance with anything, they ask me what my password is for my Wi-Fi. <laughs> so I have to tell some old lady on the phone, not high enough. Anyway, anyway, hopefully, hopefully my internet service providers not hit me with any junk fees. That's what Joe Biden was taking a stand against earlier today, speaking on ending hidden junk fees. That's where companies fully disclose their fees up front when you start shopping. So you're not surprised at the end when you check out. The companies represented here today are voluntarily committing to all in upfront pricing. Some of them have used this process for years to sell tickets, events like TikTok, Tick Pick, excuse me, Dice, and Newport Festival Foundation. Tens of millions of fans have already benefited from their decision. Others, like Airbnb, have started giving customers the option of seeing all-in prices. Apparently, Airbnb is like putting itself out of business. And other businesses are committing today. Starting in September, Live Nation will automatically list all the prices up front for all tickets to events. Well, I'm happy for that. Its own, benefiting over 30 million customers. And will give customers the option of an all-in price for all other tickets sold on its platform. The ticket seller, Seat Greek, is also set to give customers the option of seeing... It is Seat Geek. And I'm pleased we're also joined by uh, XPay, XBK, a small venue in Des Moines, Iowa, that's going to be using all upfront pricing for its 100 events a, a, a year as well. Folks, we're just the Deep latest freak. private sector. We are, these are just the latest private sector leaders who are responding to my call for action. And I'm asking their competitors to follow suit and adopt an all in. I would I would like you to stop asking and start kicking some ass. And proof that our crackdown on junk fees has real momentum. But there's more to do to address the problem of online ticketing uh, to excuse me to address the problems in online ticketing industry and to get junk fees across all industries. I want to thank members of Congress who are working on legislation to address the junk fees and ticketing lodging in other industries. This is real transparency, which leads to more competition, brings down costs for working Americans, keeps growing our economy from the middle out and the bottom up, not the top down. And I'm going to now turn over to Leo, our director of my National Economic Council, to start a discussion. So thank you. Mr. President, can you tell us what you want Lincoln to achieve in China, sir? What would you like Lincoln to achieve? We're talking about China now? Come on, man! Talk about that later. That's not what this is about. <laughs> We're talking about junk fees here, ma'am. Anything about the cyber attack today for us? No. Thank you, Thank you everyone. Now, I was the was the cyber attack today, or are we just learning about it? 
Andrea Mitchell said a new report detailed cyber attacks. So I took it as it is like an ongoing thing that several agencies are contending with cyber attacks, not that several agencies were hit specifically today. Am I wrong on that? Did I interpret that wrong? Because that reporter made it sound like there were targeted attacks specifically today. Yeah. Thank you very much. Why did they use the FBI balls? He's kicking authority, authority to the balls. Thanks, guys. Thank you for Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Who's this Gavin Newsom looking fucker over here? I, that's one of the things like, uh, the other day, I don't know, did we play it here on the show? I don't know if I saw it on stream or if I just saw the clip. Biden, um, gets interrupted by a kid crying and he handles it so fucking well. And to see him, like, he's like, I'd get bored with me too, Jack. Like walks over and starts like having banter with the with the I don't know if it was like a uh, like a two year old or whatever, and starts like talking to the to the you know the kid the kid's off camera, or the parent or whatever and bantering back and forth and it handled it so well like the dude thinks on his feet, he's not he's not the uh, uh, invalid that the right wing makes him out to be. Now he's lost a step. I've I've highlighted that. Uh, you go back and watch a interview with Joe Biden from like 2014, 2015. The man was sharper and wittier and more on on point. He's slowed down a little bit. That's to be expected. He's fucking whatever. 78 now. 76. 70. I don't even fucking know. How old are you, Joseph Robinette Biden? thought he was taller than six foot. 80. He's 80. Wow. I was way off. But he's not, he's not what the right wing makes him out to be. However, he is not the most powerful man in America. You would think the president would be the most powerful man in America. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I don't actually, I don't actually know who uh, a more perfect union is going to say is the most powerful man in America. I'm interested to find out. We're all going to find out. There's a video dropped by a more perfect union earlier today called We Found the Most Powerful Man in America. It's very well, very well could be Harlan Crow, The Immerser. Which, which one's still alive? I don't... I don't know. It could be some fucking billionaire we've never even heard of yet. Do or where he can go if he doesn't mind who gets the credit. That quote is on a plaque behind the desk of this guy seen palling around with Clarence Thomas here. Now, Leonard, since you're the number three most powerful. So it's uh, Harlan Crow. Right. God help us. And Donald Trump over here and with Justice Samuel Alito at the Vatican. 
you know the important historical events he shaped. The right-wing Supreme Court gutted Miranda rights this week. In a high-profile case involving religious liberty. The Second Amendment, climate, and air pollution restrictions. Five justices ended the right of American women to choose abortion under the Constitution. You know all of his famous cronies who have benefited from their friendship with him, but you probably don't recognize his face. His name is Leonard Leo. Oh, fuck. From that quote behind his desk, which he probably got, by the way, from the Ronald Reagan. Yeah, I didn't even know what he looked like. I don't know what Arlen Crow looks like. And avoiding credit, Leonard Leo has become quite possibly the single most powerful private citizen in America, despite the fact that nobody has ever voted for him in any election. We're going to shine a light on just who he is and what he believes. This is the classroom for more perfect union. And today we're talking about how Leonard Leo broke America's courts. Leonard Leo was born in Long Island, raised Catholic. His father died when he was young and he was brought up. They do romanticize the war in court. Immigrant who had come to the United States at age 14, worked as a tailor for Brooks Brothers and moved up to become an executive. Leo idolized his grandfather. He has a lifelong passion for well-tailored suits and says his grandfather's story is emblematic of the American dream. Leo's family moved to New Jersey and we don't know a whole lot else about Leo during his early years. What we do know is that in his high school yearbook, he was shown holding a big wad of cash with the bizarre nickname Moneybags Kid. Remember this because Leo <laughs> in lots of places you wouldn't expect, like in ultra-religious Forrest Gump holding a ridiculously large amount of cash that he's probably going to do bad things with. God help us. Leo went to Cornell University where he studied American history and wrote his senior thesis on the exercise clause, the part in the First Amendment that says the government can't interfere with religious practice. The summer after graduation, he took an internship in Washington, D.C., where he heard a speech given by Reagan's Attorney General Ed Meese to the Federalist Society, a new right-wing... Always a Federalist Society. In this speech, Meese complained that the Supreme Court was full of activist judges that had abandoned the original principles of the Constitution as the fathers intended, as in America as it was in 1791. The good old days. The Constitution is a document of fixed and legally binding meaning. This approach was called originalism, and it was a burgeoning field of study in constitutional law. Leo was impressed. He was more than impressed. He was inspired. He returned to Cornell for law. Originalism doesn't make any fucking sense. Their chapter hosted a regional conference where Leo would meet future Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Future Supreme Court Justice is going to become a running theme in this video. The Federalist Society had just one win and one loss. One of their own, Antonin Scalia, had been sworn in by Reagan, but Robert Bork, another early member, had been rejected. He got borked. Mr. Metzenbaum? No. No. Bork was an extremely controversial choice. The ACLU, NAACP, and Democrats in the Senate all spoke out against his nomination. Robert Bork's America is a land in which women would be forced into back alley abortions. Blacks would sit at segregated lunch counters. Rogue police could break down citizens' doors in midnight raids. And school children could not be taught about evolution. Republicans claimed Kennedy's words were hyperbolic, that they were character assassination. 
but work. No, no. And Scalia talk about activist court. What they're really talking about are the changes that were made under Supreme Court Justice Earl Warren from 1953 to 1969. The Warren Court passed unprecedented cases. Brown versus Board of Education was desegregated America schools. Loving versus Virginia, which allowed Clarence Thomas to marry his wife in Griswold v. Connecticut that allowed married couples to use contraceptives and pave the way for Roe v. Wade. They're also talking about the New Deal order when the courts expanded the role of federal governments in regulating corporations and creating rights for workers. And yeah, I think those things would have been pretty hard to get by in 1791. You know, the good old days. <laughs> Leo graduated and moved to DC where he went to work at the Court of Appeals. The Federalist Society was trying to grow their lawyer division. They had student chapters at nearly 150 universities, but their network off campus was languishing. Leo was brought on to cultivate talent among practicing attorneys and potential donors. That same year, Leo got an opportunity. That is sad, Richard. One of his close friends became a top pick. To if you do read the history of the Supreme Court, it really is fucking 200 years of it just doing like monstrous shit. It's not by accident. It's by that's that's the remnants of the progressive movement that that rose in the wake of of the Great Depression. That's why the courts matter so much. It's, 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 that court is a result of the New Deal progressivism and the politicians that uh, um, furthered it. I, not by accident, and that's, that just shows you how important it is for people 20, 30 years from now that we take back the courts and the Republicans have been playing the long game the long game with the Supreme Court. Replace civil rights era judge Thurgood Marshall. I'd like to thank so many of my friends and especially my good friend Leonard Leo for such a warm welcome. Clarence probably thinks- Hope you can. Leo took time off from the supposedly nonpartisan Federalist Society to help secure his friend's nomination, which turned into one of the longest confirmation hearings in history after Anita Hill came forward with sexual- Well, it's both, Richard. Against Thomas. Just after Thomas took his seat, the Supreme Court it's a multi-pronged approach called Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Casey originated in Pennsylvania, where five abortion clinics challenged a law that required anyone seeking an abortion to wait 24 hours before getting the procedure. The law also required married women who wanted abortions to get permission from their husbands. Wow. Yep. With five Reagan and Bush senior appointments on the court, Leo and his colleagues believe they might finally be able to rule that Roe v. Wade was unconstitutional. But three conservative justices surprised the right and chose to stay with precedent. Only Scalia and Thomas, the Federalist Society loyalists, and Nixon appointee William Rehnquist dissented. Leo was pissed, royally pissed. But secretly, Bush Sr. and even some prominent Federalist Society members were happy. The pro-life religious right was a big part of the Republican base, but actually overturning Roe v. Wade was a risky gambit. Many, many Americans didn't want abortion rights taken away. And besides that, an election was coming up. Bill Clinton hit the campaign trail celebrating a woman's right to choose. George Bush won't guarantee a woman's right to choose, I will. And beat Bush Sr. with 32 states. 
During the Clinton years, the Federalist Society grew substantially. By the end of his presidency, they had 25,000 members, up from 5,000 in 1991. And most of its members weren't students now. They were practicing attorneys and part of Leo's lawyer division. And Moneybags Kid knew how to tap wealthy members for fundraising. By 2001, the Federalist Society had 3.5 million in revenue. The Federalist Society's Kenneth Starr and his team of Fed sock lackeys spent much of the Clinton years lobbying investigations at the president and seeing if any of them would stick. They couldn't get Clinton out of office, but they were ready when there was a chance to get a new Republican president in. It was November 2000, and it looked like Al Gore was about to take the presidency. And the Bush campaign is now contesting the projected victory for Al Gore. He had won the popular vote and seemed to have taken Florida by a few hundred votes. But as more ballots rolled in, Bush was taking the lead. Bush is the president-elect of the United States. He has won the state of Florida, according to our projections. Recount, they are saying recount. On his legal team were several Federalist Society lawyers who were working to stop the recount in favor of Bush. Gore probably looks far more leftist now when you listen to him speak than what he would have been in the 90s. The next election cycle, George W. Bush was running against John Kerry, the first Catholic nominee since JFK. Remember that Bush hadn't won the popular vote, and it's pretty questionable whether he actually won the presidency at all. Yep. To win this time, he need Catholics. Leo was brought on to do just that. White evangelical Christians were Bush's base, and Bush had pledged to be a pro- The gay marriage election. Of America is building a culture of life. But pro-life Catholics didn't always vote Republican. Leo hired the right-wing PR firm Creative Response Concepts to media train Federalist Society members to stump for Bush and talk up the importance of the courts. Bush's re-election, which this time did give him the popular vote, came down to his coalition of the faithful. I'm proud to lead such an amazing country, and I'm proud to lead it forward. With Bush in office, Leo became one of the four horsemen, the official advisors for Bush's judicial nominees. Leo's first pick was John Roberts, a devout Catholic who opposed abortion and had fought to roll back voting rights and school desegregation orders. Roberts' views were extreme, but he and other conservative nominees had learned something from the failed Bork confirmation. Bork had said the quiet part out loud, and Roberts knew that he needed to keep his radical views to himself. Mr. Chairman, I come before the committee with no agenda. I have no platform, and I will remember that it's my job to call balls and strikes and not to pitch or bat. Judge Roberts did a fine job today. He answered uh, uh, the questions presented to him as faithfully and objectively as he could without prejudging any issues. A surprising number of Democrats bought the Roberts as umpire stick, and he was confirmed with 78 votes in favor. Leo's next nominee was Samuel Alito. Now, Alito was going to have a harder time getting nominated. The ACLU came out against his nomination, something they hadn't done since Bork. In the end, Alito was confirmed by a tight vote of 58 to 42. Leo returned to the nonpartisan Federalist Society to a sizable raise. He was promoted from director of the lawyers division to executive vice president. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is a pleasure to stand before 1,500 of the most little-known and elusive of that secret society or conspiracy we call the Federalist Society. Money bags, kid. 
During the Obama years, Leo shifted his focus to fundraising for conservative causes, including the Tea Party group Liberty Central, headed by Clarence Thomas's wife, Jenny Thomas. America's at risk, and I didn't know how far left President Obama and the leadership was going to take us. Washington is sick. It became much easier for Leo to do his job after the movement scored another major victory. In 2010, with four Federalist Society Associated judges on board, the court decided to hear a case brought before them by right-wing anti-abortion lawyer James Bopp, a case about limits on political donations. Oh, yeah, Federalist Society people are the worst. Who's, quote, funding uh, a politician or a... Of course. The Federalist Society, lovers of the good old days themselves, had wanted to get rid of campaign finance limits on corporations and political nonprofits for years. Here's Mitch McConnell talking at the Federalist Society in 1999. Now remember, the $1,000 contribution limit was set back in 1974 at a time when a Mustang cost $2,700. The case was called Citizens United and it was decided with all four of the Federalist judges and the saving vote Kennedy in favor. After this ruling, there was an explosion of political nonprofits and PACs that didn't have to disclose their donors. With these dark money contributors- All funded by the same fucking people. Network of dozens of organizations to back conservative causes. You probably know the rest. In 2016, Antonin Scalia died while Obama was still in office, but the Republican-held Senate wouldn't let a nominee through. Mr. President, the next justice could fundamentally alter the direction of the Supreme Court. So and they of did. Course, of course, the American people should have a say in the court's direction. When it was clear that Trump would be the Republican contender for president, Leo was ready with a list of names. I uh, came up with a list. Uh, the Federalist Society was very much involved. Leo's nonprofit organizations distributed ads and were quoted over and over in newspapers. First, to block Merrick Garland, and then to endorse Neil Gorsuch. The Washington Post reported that nine of the organizations hired the same conservative PR firm, Leo's ally from the Bush years, Creative Response Concepts. President Trump wanted to talk to us about uh, how important he views the selection he's going to have to make in the coming months. When Justice Kennedy retired, Leo launched the Freedom Opportunity Fund and gave $4 million to a group called the Independent Women's Voice, who went on Fox News and endorsed Brett Kavanaugh. In this segment, three speakers are all tied to Leo. Hasn't he been investigated? Fucking match slap. The reality is these folks outmaneuvered us in ways that we are now only starting to realize. Yep. With Kavanaugh in court, the Federalist Society now held a 5-4 majority, and Amy Coney Barrett made it 6-3. to three. If we zoom out, we can see that these judges have been in the history of Leo's conservative movement. When Federalist Society member Ken Starr tried to impeach Bill Clinton, a young Kavanaugh was also on his team. And what about that famous Supreme Court case that stopped the Florida recount and gave George W. Bush the presidency? It was one with help from Roberts, Kavanaugh, and Barrett. I don't think the justices care that it's Bush versus Gore, or if it were Gore versus Bush. What they care about is how to interpret the Constitution. What are the enduring values that stand a generation from now? Of the villains we've covered, this is one where the phrase vast right-wing conspiracy seems unavoidable. The ultra-conservative bloc in the Supreme Court could be in power. Uh, Hillary was right about that. Unless Congress packs the courts or institutes term limits. Leo has been working in the shadows to shape the courts using millions and now billions of dark money. 
and Americans have little ability to resist his influence. He may only now be getting the credit he deserves, but there has to be a limit on one man's power. Thanks for watching The Classroom for more Perfect Union. Research for this piece. Sorry, that's a bit of a long piece, but I felt it important to watch it. Also, I didn't know who they were going to say was the most powerful man in the country. They made a pretty goddamn good case. But workers are powerful when they stand together, and workers with UPS are apparently now going to get air conditioning. I can't believe this hasn't been a thing until now. UPS and the Teamsters have reached a deal on air conditioning in delivery vans. Negotiators for UPS and the Teamsters Union have reached a tentative agreement on a crucial issue in their contract talks. The shipping giant has finally agreed to install air conditioning gradually in its entire fleet of 95,000 delivery vans. The union held the long-sought agreement as a major tentative deal. It said the company agreed to equip all larger delivery vehicles, smaller sprinter vans, and all of UPS's most recognizable brown package vans purchased after January 1st, 2024 with in-cab air conditioning systems. There's apparently less immediate relief for drivers of vehicles already in operation. The current fleet will all get two fans per van after the contract is ratified. In addition, there will be air induction vents installed in the cargo compartments to alleviate extreme temperatures in the back of the vehicles. Non-electric vehicles will have exhaust heat shields installed. Two fucking fans. Air conditioning is coming to UPS and Teamsters members in these vehicles will get the relief and production they've been fighting for, or protection they've been fighting for. This is according to the Teamsters general president, Sean O'Brien. The agreement was announced late on Tuesday by the union. The issue of air conditioning was a major bargaining goal for the union in the negotiations. The union argues that beyond the issue of comfort, the high temperatures in vans in the summer pose a significant health threat to members, especially as temperatures continue to rise thanks to climate change. Seems a little too little too late. Now, usually I am all for workers winning uh, wrongful termination suits. However, this one might have a bit of a twist. A former manager has been awarded $25 billion in a wrongful uh, termination suit. Unfortunately, I don't think that this woman was fired for her... Uh, unionizing efforts i think she was being a karen starbucks regional manager fired after this moment which ignited a national uproar and forced the coffee giant into a racial reckoning now that former employee winning more than 25 million dollars in damages after suing the coffee giant for violating her civil rights in her termination it all started in April 2018 when these two men, Rashawn Nelson and Dante Robinson, walked into a Starbucks in Philadelphia where they had a meeting. One of them was refused access to the bathroom without making a purchase and they were asked to leave. 
when they refused. A staff member called the police who arrested both Robinson and Nelson. The incident, a stain on the massive coffee retailer, sparking protests and national outrage. It ultimately prompted Starbucks CEO Kevin Johnson to release a video statement, taking accountability for the incident and promising to do better. What happened in the way that incident escalated and the outcome was nothing but reprehensible. And I'm sorry. Starbucks taking drastic action. Today, the company announced that all of its 8,000 U.S. stores will be staying, if you will. Of May 29th, employees will go through racial bias training. And Club soda and salt. Policy so anyone could use them. The company eventually settling with Nelson and Robinson for an undisclosed amount of money and providing them with a free college education. The two Good. also settled with the city of Philadelphia for a symbolic $1 each with Billy's promise to invest in a youth entrepreneurship program. I'm thrilled that they Good on them. A dollar with the city showed a lot of uh, class on their part. But the yes. drip of the fallout continued. The next year, Starbucks was in hot water again, hit with a lawsuit from the regional manager who oversaw that store in approximately 100 other locations. Shannon Phillips, who is white, claims she was fired after the incident because of her race. In the lawsuit, she says she was not involved in the arrests in any way and that Starbucks did not take any action against the black district manager who oversaw that store and had promoted the person who was responsible for making the call to police. On Monday, a federal jury in New Jersey sided with Phillips, awarding her $25.6 million in damages. What was ultimately determined by the jury was the kind of went after people that were not involved with that situation at all, making those decisions based on appearance and, and, and the race of the, the people that they disciplined, who were associated with the Philadelphia store, but not with the events uh, that occurred. Starbucks fought the lawsuit in court, saying Phillips was not fired because of her race, but for failing to lead, according to court filings. But the company has not commented publicly since the verdict and has not responded to our request for comment. In a statement, Phillips' lawyer said Starbucks was looking for a scapegoat and the Phillips... I believe that. ...more back pay from Starbucks to be decided by the judge. All right, asking for even more money. Stephen Romo joins us now in studio. So, Stephen, what was the biggest piece of evidence in this case that bolstered the manager's argument? Well, the legal expert we talked to really highlighted one piece of evidence in that lawsuit. The company allegedly punishing people who weren't involved in the actual incident because they were white. Now, before she was fired, Phillips claimed she was told to suspend a white district manager who oversaw stores in Philadelphia, but not the one where this actually happened. And one other note about this, Tom, the lawyer we spoke to said he doesn't actually think that she'll get $25 million because that's actually above what the law allows. Still a big deal that this jury chose in her favor. We'll have to see what comes of this. Well, I mean, I've kind Thanks of- watching our YouTube channel. I would still assert that she didn't get fired because she's white, but she may have actually been wrongfully terminated. I, I may have to change my position after that. But, I mean, the absurdity to me is that the two black men didn't get the $25 million. Raven Poe, good evening.
I just, she was she was ultimately not the victim in this in this situation. I don't think she got fired for being white. But it is very possible that Starbucks was indeed looking for a scapegoat. That that's likely. Uh, Richard, uh, I know you like these kinds of stories. You said officer down stories. Go to Denver where an officer was hit by a fire truck. Oh, this is the aftermath. We don't actually get to see the, the hit. Apparently there was some kind of sporty ball thing and Denver won a championship. This is right after it happened. Apparently fire truck running into a cop who was in full riot gear. Are you not protected, sir? Once again, ain't nobody ever wrote a song called Fuck the Fire... (laughs) I fucked it up. (laughs) Fuck the Fire Department. (laughs) Oh, God damn. I don't know what's going on with this story. We're gonna... We're gonna get the lowdown on this, because this is... This is... Two former Torrance police officers. This is in Torrance. Don't even fucking know. What what goddamn town is this? Torrance what? Trying to tell you what you what is it? Is this is in California, Torrance, California. I'm seeing Riverside, Montrose, Riverside County, DA. I guess this is where this is out of. Two former Torrance police officers to stand trial involving swastika on an impounded car. So two former Torrance police officers were ordered on Monday, June 12th to stand trial on felony charges stemming from a swastika that was found spray painted inside an impounded vehicle nearly three and a half years ago. Superior Court Judge Craig Richmond denied a defense motion to dismiss the case against Christopher uh, Tomsick and Cody Weldon, who are charged with one felony count each of vandalism with more than $400 in damage and conspiracy to commit vandalism. 
The judge said the two. Uh, the judge said there were two estimates of about twenty-five hundred dollars to repair the damage to the car, acknowledging that prosecutors and defense attorneys agreed that the car's owners would uh, wound up paying about ten dollars to remove the paint. The judge also noted that protein powder and cereal were all tossed over the car in what he described as malicious mischief. It's it's looking like they painted it, yes. Cosmic's attorney, Lisa Huell, said she plans to file a motion asking another judge, Sam Ota, who has been assigned to the case to dismiss the charges against her client based on the evidence presented during the preliminary hearing. I do think that Judge Richmond is a very thoughtful, experienced judge. I do disagree with the ruling. The two former officers are free on their own recognizance. Cosmic and Weldon were among a group of officers who responded to a January 27th, uh, 2020 call about three men who had stolen mail from an apartment building and found a vehicle possibly used in a crime. It was taken to a tow yard. When the vehicle's owner arrived to pick up the car, he found a happy face that had been spray painted on the front seat of the vehicle and on the rear seat, there was a symbol of a swastika. Torrance Police Chief Jeremiah Hart has said that the two officers were no longer employed by the city. The department initiated a criminal investigation and submitted recommendations to the district attorney's office that criminal charges be filed against the former officers. Let me be clear, I will aggressively pursue any form of racism, bigotry, hate, or misconduct at the Torrance Police Department, Hart said. In March, uh, it was announced that the city had paid $750,000 to the vehicle's owner. Huh. So we don't even know what the motive was. Were the cops Nazis? Were they claiming that the person was not? Like, I... If they have tattoos, I would like to see them. Anytime I see a cop with tattoos, I wonder, what are your tattoos of? Do you have tattoos on your chest? Can I see the tattoos on your chest? Prosecutors are asking the Missouri governor not to pardon an ex-Kansas City officer that was convicted of killing a man. Eric... De Volcanair was sentenced last year to six years in prison in the fatal shooting of Cameron Lamb. And this is the former pig right here, looking like he's about ready to cry, I guess, after being read the verdict in the courtroom. Oh, crying little piggy. Missouri prosecutor asked the governor uh, not to pardon a former Kansas City police detective sentenced to six years in a man's killing. Absurd that this even has to be a story and that the prosecutor would even have to do this saying in a letter on Tuesday that such a move would subvert the rule of law. Jackson County Prosecutor Gene Peters Baker said in a letter to Governor Mike Parson that Eric DeVolcanaire was fairly convicted and sentenced in the fatal shooting of Cameron Lamb at his home in 2019 and that she was aware he had been lobbied uh, for a pardon in the case. I imagine you might view a pardon as a way to support police, she wrote, but I expect this extreme action for the only KCPD officer convicted of fatally shooting a black man will ignite distrust, protests, and public safety concerns for citizens and for police. Not high enough for his crocodile tears. 
Letter did not say who had sought a pardon for Devolcanaer. I think I'm saying that right. I'm taking my best stab at it. His lawyer did not immediately respond to a request for comment on Tuesday night. In the letter, Baker said the appeals process had not concluded. A pardon, she said, would preempt the Attorney General's defense of the conviction and subvert the rule of law. The statement Parsons Communications Director said that if the Vulcanaire applies for a pardon, his application will go through a thorough and thoughtful review and will be treated the exact same as other applicants. The statement accused Baker of trying to earn political points for her re-election bid and pointed to a, pre- a prison re-entry initiative to show that Parson is grounded in his faith and believes in second chances. Oh my God. I'm sure you believe in second chances for cops that murder people. Drug dealer that's nonviolent? Uh, probably not so much. In Oklahoma, two cops have uh, been ordered to be reinstated after fatally shooting an uh, unarmed black man. Thank you, Porg. Everyone should like the stream on YouTube. Thank you, thank you. Reinstatement ordered for Oklahoma officers who fatally shot an unarmed black man. I probably should have hit the content warning for this. Two Southwest Oklahoma police officers who fatally shot an unarmed black man have been ordered by an arbiter to be reinstated, according to an attorney for the two officers. Ex-Lawton officers Robert Hinkle and Nathan Ronan were fired following the December 2021 shooting death of 29-year-old Quandry Sanders while investigating reports of a man waving a gun inside a home. I believe I remember this. Both officers have been uh, have been charged with manslaughter by prosecutors who Sanders uh, who said Sanders was unarmed. Body camera footage released by the Lawton Police Department shows Sanders appeared from around a refrigerator, his hands visible and appearing to hold a ball cap. Sanders then moved partially behind the refrigerator and Hinkle fired four times as Sanders appeared to have hit uh, to have his right hand raised above his head before falling to the ground. Sanders sat up with his hands above his head and Hinkle, who is black, fired seven more times. Ronan, who is white, also fired four times at Sanders. An autopsy revealed Sanders was struck 12 times in various parts of his body. The two officers saw Sanders reach into his pocket as he first stepped behind the refrigerator after exiting the house and thought he was reaching for a gun, according to a defense attorney. You have to go back and see what was going on when the decision is made to use deadly force. I'm sorry, don't give a shit. A cop's job is to die, if necessary, to bring a suspect in. That is the way I read the Fourth Amendment. You can't just go willy-nilly executing somebody. You are supposedly putting your life on the line. It's your job. Your job to die to defend. To defend the citizens of this country. So I don't care. Go back and see what was going on. That oh, you thought he was reaching for something? It doesn't goddamn matter. If he had a gun, doesn't goddamn matter. That's his right as an American citizen. It doesn't matter if fucking cops are scared. 
Kick authority in the balls around here. He's kicking authority, authority in the balls. balls. Doing my best, Dr. Oz. I'm trying. Ain't much, but it's an honest day's work. And that dude was apparently a fucking uh, badass of sustainable uh, farming and shit. And just passed away like a week or so ago. We're going to go to Fox News now, which has uh, dash camera footage of a wild chase in Texas where apparently a migrant was fleeing. I don't know if it was the cops or Border Patrol. A Houston driver allegedly smuggling illegal uh, immigrants led authorities on a high-speed chase on Tuesday. Oh, we lost control. I don't know what the purpose of doing that is. You're gonna fuck up your tires, dude. You ain't gonna get right away from the cops like that. And it is indeed fucked up. I guess they got out and ran. The, the cops were walking. They weren't trying very hard to flee, were they? Keep talking. You guys like to see him. Any weapons on you? No, sir. Can you please wipe my face with this turn shirt, on, please? Turn on, turn on, make sure. Turn your waistband. You good? You good. Put your arms broken. Oh. What happened? Yeah. Why'd you run, though? Pass out. Where are you from? Can I please drop? Yeah, drop here, man. I better carry out. You got yourself in here. You gotta get yourself out. <laughs> Apparently, he broke his arm and wanted to uh, fall to the ground. But like, you got yourself in here. You're gonna have to get yourself out. What the? Landlord shares secret. Okay, that's, this is a different video, but an alleged squad. Uh, a Florida landlord was able to avoid bringing the squatters occupying his house to court by using a little-known Florida statute that lets police remove them immediately. Uh, fuck this dude. Fuck landlords. Uh, if you guys were here for the meme of the day, kids react to Maoist purges of landlords. <laughs> that should tell you how we feel about landlords around here. So fuck this dude. Seriously, fuck you, dude. Uh, I'm going to have to hit the content warning on this one. Might be a little gruesome, guys. In Harvard, at Harvard, not in Harvard, at Harvard, the, the manager of the Harvard Medical School morgue apparently was 
selling body parts. And they caught them dead-handed. The manager of the morgue at Harvard Medical School is accused of selling stolen body parts. According to a federal indictment, 55-year-old Cedric Lodge is accused of stealing dissected portions of human cadavers, taking them to his home in New Hampshire, then selling them online. Lodge's wife, Denise, and two alleged buyers, 44-year-old Katrina McLean of Salem and 46-year-old Joshua Taylor of Westlawn, Pennsylvania, were also charged in the indictment that was released today. McLean is accused of selling the remains at her store, Cat's Creepy Creations, in Peabody. If she was selling them, was it bones? She making something out of bones or something? Because like my first pro thought process is, what are they selling to whom and for what purpose? Taylor's your business buying a new dick to fuck herself with? Don't think for a moment that we aren't going to uh, keep abreast on the trial of Taylor's your business. You live in sexual that anarchy. Back in the fall, a teacher in Virginia was shot by a six-year-old student. I am indeed bald, Warlord. Thank you, Captain Obvious, for pointing that out. <laughs> Where have you been? We've been on for a while. What the fuck? Abby Zwerner, the teacher shot by a six-year-old student, has apparently been fired by the school district. They are trying to squeeze her, says teacher's lawyer, alleging that the school fired her for slapping a $40 million lawsuit. Shadows of doubt, I haven't even heard of it, Warlord. I thought Tears of the Kingdom was the game of the year. I thought Final Fantasy 16 was gonna be game of the year. I thought you had been playing Assassin's Creed. You like bald better. A procedurally generated game. Interesting. I'm intrigued. Wait a minute. We're doing the news. A Virginia school teacher shot by a six-year-old student is no longer employed by her school. And a dispute has emerged over whether she was fired or she resigned. Abby Warner, who worked as a first grade teacher at Newport News Public Schools, was shot by her student in January, after which, uh, I'm sorry, I said it was in the fall, but apparently it was in January, in which she sustained severe wounds, spent two weeks in the hospital, and underwent multiple surgeries. 25-year-old teacher who filed a $40 million lawsuit against the school over negligence is now not employed by NNPS anymore. The administration announced on Tuesday claiming she resigned from her position 
Ms. Warner's lawyers, however, said she was fired by the school and has not been paid since February. Fuck them. This woman deserves a multi-million dollar lawsuit, but she definitely needs her pay right now because I assume she has medical bills because she was shot by one of her fucking students. Ms. Warner's lawyers, however, said she was fired by the school and has not been paid since February. She also alleges that the school was trying to put pressure on her. They are trying to squeeze her. Thing I can think they were trying to put pressure on her because she filed suit. It's outrageous, as outrageous as I've ever seen, according to her attorney. The school refuted Mr. Brett's claim in a statement on Tuesday. Every employee who is separating from the school division receives a similar communication. The school system also provided emails between its administration and Ms. Warner, in which the teacher reportedly wrote, I wish to resign. Thank you. Why would she be saying you fired her if she wished to resign? I am going to side with her until I have evidence otherwise. I think this smells like bullshit, but this could just be smoky. Uh, smoky could have just came from the from the litter box. And that could be what I'm smelling. Am I smelling you? You smell like shit, buddy. Say hey to him. Look at the cameras up there, buddy. Smokey. He wants to lay the fuck back down. He doesn't want to be disturbed. It's hard to see him. Oh, sorry. Screw him with the camera. I'm going to give everybody motion sickness. Like that dude that, like, when we first came on. Seriously, dude, I think you might stink. You have shit on your butt? You have shit on your butt? I gotta clean your vomit up here in a little bit. It's bothering me that there's vomit over there on that couch. I haven't been able to tend to it. I, Maynard tried to eat it. Nasty, Maynard. Nasty. He yelled at me just now. I yelled at him and he yelled back at me. That fucking cat. Uh, can you guys even see him? He's right there. He's right there in the corner. Maynard! He is totally not impressed right now. And that's like their toy pile right there. A whole bunch of toys. The vomit is bothering all of us. Indeed. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to gonna have to take care of that here in a little bit. Luckily, luckily, we're close to bring this on home. I wanna talk about this collapse. I-95 in Philadelphia. This happened about a week ago. Maybe. Am I off? Sunday. This happened on Sunday. No quick fix in sight for the I-95 after intense heat collapses overpass in Philadelphia. This video is wild.
They had to extinguish it. There was a fire that caused this. Oh, I'm sorry, you guys aren't hearing this. Detours and are working on Let me go back. Further alternative immediately draw down federal funds and move quickly to repair and reconstruct this roadway. The northbound side of I-95 has completely collapsed and the southbound side is not structurally sound to carry any traffic over it. In response, PennDOT, the city of Philadelphia, and SEPTA, under leadership of Leslie Richards, who joins us today, have created detours and are working on further alternative- I don't know what caused the fire, though. Can ...safely get to where they need to go. With regards to the complete rebuild of I-95 roadway, we expect that to take some number- Mr. Artiste. Good evening, my friend. Welcome. Thank you for being a freaking follower. Sunday's fire, which came from fuel in a tanker truck under the overpass, is estimated to have burned as hot as 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. On Monday, Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro issued a disaster declaration allowing the state and city to draw down federal funds. A lot still has to fall into place for a quick completion, another expert said, including having the money, workforce, and materials needed. Once again, this was I-95 in uh, northeast Philadelphia. This happened on Sunday. 20... UFO probably. Uh, stick around. We're going to talk about uh, UFOs here in just a little bit. The cops in Las Vegas are trying desperately to catch the UFOs that residents have said they've been seeing. Well, now, Porg, as we know, jet fuel can melt steel beams. It can melt concrete. Uh, and jet fuel is stored in the balls. As long as we're on the subject of collapses, in Davenport, Iowa, an apartment complex collapsed. This happened uh, my birthday weekend, just a couple weeks ago. You can see video of the apartment complex here. A partial collapse of the building. This is in Davenport, Iowa. A suit accuses the inspector, the city, and the owner of gross negligence and like... Yeah, yeah. Another class action lawsuit accuses a landlord, the city of Davenport, and a former city inspector of gross negligence in the partial collapse of the apartment building on May 28th. Dismantling began on Monday at the site of the partial collapse. 
Jennifer Smith and Deontay McMath individually and as owners of the 4th Street Nutrition, a partnership, and Brandy Wilhouse individually. Goddamn, that's all the people that are listed in the lawsuit. I'm not going through all that. In the suit, the plaintiffs asked for damages caused by negligent actions or inactions and accused the defendants of gross negligence and willful and wanton conduct. The 4th Street Nutrition business was on the ground floor of the 4th Street side of the building suit shows both Smith and McMath lost all of their personal property, business records, banking records, pictures, electronics, furniture, kitchen equipment, and kitchen items, food, mementos, and other miscellaneous personal property with damages in excess of $10,000 for each of them. Apparently, like it's this nutrition business. I don't know about a, a store or pizza place. Was that one of the people that was one of the plaintiffs listed? The suit says uh, the Vivians lived in Unit 606, for which uh, she or Vivian lived in uh, 606, which she paid $1,100 a month. She had lived there since September of 2022. She too lost all her personal property. No tenants, commercial or residential, have been allowed back inside the building to collect any personal effects or even to retrieve pets, leaving all tenants in crisis with only the clothes on their backs. Fire department was later able to rescue a number of residents' pets from inside the building. This collapse also took the lives of three tenants who reside in the building and caused another tenant to lose her leg due to debris falling on her body. There you see the pictures of the three victims. It whole country indeed. But now, I'm going to show you what happens just a year, year and a half. After a tragedy like this, there'll there'll be no justice for the residents. However, they're just going to move forward with plans. Developer submits plans for new condos on the site of the Surfside collapse that killed 98 people. Plans for a new condominium building at the same site in Surfside, Florida, where 98 people were killed when Champlin Towers' uh, South Condo collapsed in 2021 were submitted for approval this week. DAMAC International, a Dubai-based developer, announced on Tuesday it submitted an application for planning approval for a new 12-story ultra-luxury boutique oceanfront condominium. Surfside Town Planner confirmed to USA Today on Wednesday that the city received the application, which has to be reviewed by the Surfside Planning and Zoning Board, then would go to the town's commission for approval. Only after approval would the developer be able to submit a building permit for construction on the site. Plans come nearly two years after the collapse. The nation was rocked when the 12-story, 135-unit Champlin Towers South partially collapsed in the early morning of June 24, 2021. Investigators said the building had been unstable and in need of structural repair. At the time of the collapse, the property was in the midst of an inspection. Rescuers traveled from across the country and internationally in the aftermath, though only two teenagers and a woman survived the collapse. I'm sorry. My apologies. I try to get those. 
It was it was kind of distracting to me too as I was reading pork. Uh. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off on talking about fucking COVID again. I've got this story that Matt Taibbi wrote about how the uh, cats. What the fuck? They're wild right now. Apparently, we got shit going on. Matt Taibbi wrote a whole article about how the first people to get sick during COVID were researchers at Wuhan. That is an interesting fact and would uh, be evidence to support the first bit of evidence to support a lab leak theory. However, uh, we'll get into that later. I don't feel like talking about that. That's a next week thing. Record-breaking heat is... Why did I say that weird? Record-breaking heat. I'm tired. I'm very tired, guys. Not high enough for this. Smokey, what the fuck? Guys, stop. Record-breaking heat is hitting Texas and straining the power grid. The record for power demand today, as some parts of Texas are expecting triple-digit heat. We do have Hannah Batah. She joins us live in Dallas. Hannah Batah? Temperatures are climbing. Hannah, good morning to you. Uh, how's it feeling out there? You're in it right now. Are they feeling the heat there in Texas? In the thick of it, you know, it really isn't so bad right now. We're sitting in the mid 70s. It is pretty humid, a little sticky, a little uncomfortable, but really not as bad as far as Texas summer weather goes. Yeah, Texans really get used to and we haven't even hit the summer, although in past years it's been much worse. This time, actually last year, the record high was 105 degrees today. We're not even expected to meet that. However, a big focus right now, at least for energy grid operators, is south and central Texas. That's what led to this most recent alert. It's the first time that ERCOT, the Texas grid operator, has ever issued a so-called weather watch. All of this is... Uh, Remember, this is not Fox News news. This is local Fox. Basically just a way of alerting Texans that there might be a higher demand for electricity, but it's not asking people to conserve power just yet. It says at this point, consumers should not worry. One of the bits of good news for us is the natural gas system is really reliable in the summer. It doesn't freeze off like it does in the winter. Oh good, I'm glad you can heat your homes with natural gas could break that record set last July statewide. ERCOT says- I, I'm assuming he's meaning cooking, but uh, and also taking a strain off of the grid. Do their part to help, and that's really just making sure you do your part to conserve your energy, especially in those peak hours. Although a lot of people say it's much easier said than done, especially when it gets really uncomfortably hot. This weather alert, by the way, lasts until next Wednesday. Live in Dallas, I'm Hannah Batal. Back to you. Hannah Batah. I like Hannah. She did a good job. My opinion about BioNTech as relates to COVID-19 and radical Islam. How does biotech and COVID-19 even relate to radical Islam? That's a new one to me. Also, when it got like radical Islam is way far down on my list of priorities, seeing as I'm facing radical goddamn Christianity in the face at the moment. We've got theocratic fascists in this country trying to exterminate my friends, and I'm not down for it. 
I, I don't know. Radical Islam. Cool. Turn of mind at the moment. What's your opinion on it? I, my, uh, in terms of biotech, uh, pretty much all biotech companies should be either publicly owned or ran by the government. The cops are trying hard to catch the aliens that residents keep spotting in Las Vegas. Las Vegas UFO mystery deepens as cops install high-tech surveillance cameras at home where residents reported seeing 10-foot aliens with large, shiny eyes. Despite being skeptical, Doug Papa, who is a podcaster and an ex-cop, red flags here, red flags, on both counts, podcaster and ex-cop, that he believes the family are somewhat credible. The Las Vegas UFO mystery has deepened as police installed high-tech cameras outside the home where residents reported seeing 10-foot aliens with large, shiny eyes in their backyard. Doug Papa, a former police officer who has been following the story of the mysterious object falling from the sky. We watched this the other day. If anybody would like to see this again, some green fucking thing falling from the sky. He interviewed the family who made the call, and they told him that the cops installed the camera to protect them from UFO fanatics who might bother them. Despite being skeptical, Papa, who was a podcaster, said he now believes the family is somewhat credible. A Vegas officer's body camera picked up the object at about 11.50 p.m. on April 30th after a resident reported something 100% not human on their property. Local TV channel 8 News now reported. So that is a picture of the camera they've installed. That is a picture of the object that we saw the other night. The object following you see... The object falling... You see it in the officer's body camera footage. Footage shows a bright blue ball of light. I thought it looked green. But I mean, shades of green and blue. I might be a little colorblind. Everybody perceives color different. Approximately 39 minutes after the first call, another resident uh, contacted 911, saying that there were two unknown entities in his backyard. There's like an eight. And it has big eyes and it's looking at us and it's still there. Mr. Papa wrote on Twitter along with an image of the supposed cameras, the video camera surveillance system with the wireless transmission link that I recorded at the home on May 19th must have been a mirage or a figment of my imagination if the Las Vegas Metro Police are to be believed. He told the New York Post, the mother told me they came out there and put up the cameras supposedly to protect the family for people coming to bother them about the UFO. But I can tell you right now, cops don't come out and put up expensive video equipment like that. And they certainly wouldn't for someone calling in a report of a UFO.
During the initial 911 phone call about the alleged UFO and alien sighting, the caller said, In my backyard, I swear to God, this is not a joke. This is actually, we're terrified. They're very large. They're like 8 foot, 9 foot, 10 foot. Hup! They're like, come man, you want to go home. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do that. Sorry, I had to do that. They look like aliens to us. Big eyes. They have big eyes like I can't explain it. And big mouth. They're shiny eyes. And they're not human. They're 100% not human. I'm so nervous right now. One officer can be heard telling his partner, I have butterflies, bro. Saw a shooting star. And now these people say there's aliens in their backyard. Aliens are the hot topic right now. So here is the, the footage I was referring to earlier. It is the police call everybody will be talking about. Thanks for joining us here at 6 o'clock. I'm Denise Valdez. I'm Brian Loftus. A family says something crashed into their backyard, prompting them to call 911, saying they saw creatures walking around. Our 8 News Now investigators digging into this for weeks now. And tonight, our David Charns with the video you will only see on 8 News Now. David? Brian, Denise, sources telling the 8 News Now investigators that several agencies believe something landed or crashed. Whether it was non-humans or not, it certainly scared the people living on this property. Now, before we show you that video, listen to their call for help. There's like an eight-foot person beside it, and another one's inside, and it has big eyes and looking at us, and it's still there. Okay, where is this on your property? Uh, in my backyard. I swear to God, this is not a joke. This is actually we so terrified of it. So there's two people or two subjects that are in your backyard? Correct, and they're very large. They're okay. like eight foot. Nine feet, ten foot, I don't know. They're, they, look like, they look like aliens to us. Big eyes, they have big eyes. Okay. Like, like I can't explain it. And big mouths. They have big mouths. Shiny eyes and big mouths. They're 100% they're not human. Okay. <laughs> I love the 911 uh, operator. Okay. Responded to the call you just heard. You'll see the officers also saw something in the sky that night, but the big question is what was it and is it all connected? It's almost midnight on May 1st when a Las Vegas Metro Police officer's body cam catches this something flashing low in the sky. 911 emergency. Minutes later, there's a there's like an eight foot person beside it, and another one's inside, and it has big eyes and looking at us, and it's still there. Someone calls 911 reporting two large figures in their backyard. Oh, no, I'm so nervous right now. The 8 News Now investigators obtaining another officer's video as he's sent to the Northwest Valley home. I have butterflies, bro. Everyone saw a shooting star, then these people say there's aliens in their backyard. By now, it's more than an hour after that bright light. Officers meeting up with the caller and his family. What'd you see? It was like a... It was like a big creature. A big creature? Yeah, like a long testing top. I'm not going to BS you guys. One of my partners said they saw something fall out of the sky too, so that's yes. why I'm kind of curious. Did you see anything land in your backyard? Or? They see like a big, that's what they say. They see like a big, uh, like a big something with light. What I saw right now, I do believe in it. Police walk into the backyard to investigate, but Metro blacked out that part of the video because it's considered private property. What's clear? They're taking this call seriously. 
Hey, this might sound like a really dumb question, but did you guys see anything fall out of the sky? Asking others what they yes. saw. Uh, I would normally discount it as nothing. However, um, seeing as one of my aliens said they saw it too. Only reason I'm actually investigating it further. That investigation turning up no concrete answers as of Wednesday. Whatever or whoever fell into that yard, long gone within minutes. Oh, hey. If those, those nine-foot beings come back, don't call us, all right? Deal with it yourself. That, I ain't dealing with that. <laughs> That's what we got Space Force for. So, yeah, this is... Call Space Force. During, as we're watching this story. Now, Correct. we've been in, been in contact with the family in that video, and as you heard in that 911 call, they seem very reasonable mm -hmm. and honestly quite scared as you heard them in the... Now, the cop, the cop that's the podcaster, is claiming that the camera that they brought out wasn't from the cops, I guess. That the government is is monitoring this and trying to keep it under wraps, maybe? I don't fucking know. What do you guys think? Are we, are we getting ready? Have we made first contact already? I, aliens are a big topic right now. We got a... Cats! Stop it! We've got a whistleblower that's saying that apparently the U.S. government has been reverse engineering spacecraft for decades. For decades. And that there's proof. I don't believe it. I'm still skeptical. I've said it many times. There's, there's other life out there. There's no way. There's no way that there's not other life out there. However, we do not know of any carbon-based... Uh, uh, a carbon-based life form couldn't make it the distance to get here. And we don't know of any other... I mean, I think there's like some silica-based um, microorganism that they found. But other than that, like we don't really know of any other types of life forms. Certainly not intelligent life forms. So, I don't know. I'm just here to show you stupid videos on the internet. And your animal video tonight is not your usual kind of animal video. Here's a rhino and an elephant fighting. Who are you guys taking? I mean, clearly the elephant has, like, a ton on him. I mean, the rhino itself probably weighs a ton. But the elephant's probably two or three ton. I don't, are elephants that big? Am I way off? A ton's like a thousand pounds. I thought rhinos were vicious. Damn, it's running off. It didn't want none of that smoke. Wait, are you saying this is AI generated? Are we not really watching a rhino and an elephant?
An elephant is four times a rhino. Man, like, he just pinned him down. He punked that rhino out. This exact scenario is happening right now in my living room with Maynard and Socks. There's Maynard. I know it's hard to see. And then there's Socks. So you might see the little white spot over there on the other side. They're like facing off right now trying to fucking do this shit. Stop it, Tack! Shoo! Oh, is the rhino bleeding from the mid Oh, shit. I didn't even think about his tusks. The rhino threw the first punch. Damn. Oh, damn. He did pierce him. Oh, shit. Wow! And aren't rhinos got like, don't they have like really tough skin? Nature, man, nature. Sorry I didn't show you like cuddly animals. Do you want puppy bus? See if I can find Puppy Bus real fast. It showed that rhino. Good morning, Jake. Good morning. Here, here's just some cuddly animals. Who's next? Is it Amaru? You're the reason he's not buggled in. Why did you, why did you leave him unbuggled? He's so happy. He can't wait to see all his friends. 
Oh, they're so sweet. And this is Mo Mountain Mutts on TikTok. Good night, clinically. Go ahead, light one up, tip one back. It's all right to have a little fun before you hit the sack. I'm Justin Freakin'. We'll see you Sunday night on the Troll Patrol live. Mo Mountain Mutts on the TikTok. They're adorable. Good morning, Amaru.